everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. This episode is a basketball one. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is here with me. Uh, you can read all of our stuff over at the MichiganInsider.com and Michigan.247Sports.com. I was in Iowa City. We'll talk a little bit about that game. We'll also talk about some of the key issues Michigan faces, why the next five games might tell us everything we need to know about the team this season, uh, our thoughts on Juwan Howard, what the panic level should be, and then even a little bit of recruiting at the end. We'll talk about what's working well for the Wolverines on the trail and and maybe uh, a little bit about the commitments and then what's next. So going to be an action-packed episode. Let's start with the panic level. So we'll do 1 through 10. And so, Steve, they have now lost 6 of 8 against Power Conference teams. They have lost 3 out of 4. Uh, that Those are not good numbers. I mean, that's, that's certainly cause for concern, especially given the 7-0 start that they had to the season. But I'm curious where, I, you know, when I think about like 1 through 10, I feel like it should maybe be a 4 or a 5. There are some clear issues that we'll, that we'll break down throughout this episode. But they are missing their second best player, in my opinion, and Isaiah Livers. You know, his, his versatility defensively, how many positions he can guard, uh, how, you know, his shooting ability, and also his ability, I'd say he's their best shooter and their best dunker. And so uh, you take away someone, you know, and he was, I believe, their leading scorer at the time of his injury. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot to be taken off of a team. So I see, and, and they've played the number two toughest schedule in the country. So there are a few explanations for, for what's going on. But at the same time, uh, certainly can't be like a two or a three the the panic level it's uh it's a, it's similar issues that are repeating and one thing i would contend is that both of their two losses last week road losses to minnesota and iowa i i know the road game stats i i bring them up all the time uh home teams are 42 and 7 in big 10 play we've never seen anything like this but both of those games were winnable michigan was up 7 with 7 minutes to go in iowa city i believe they were up three with seven and a half minutes to go at Minnesota. If they weren't up three, they were tied. They had a lead with three minutes to go as well. And they got, they, Minnesota went on a, an 11, nothing run. So when you lose winnable games, that's certainly relevant when you're, when you're are struggling this much on the road, they're now Oh, five on the road compared to 11 and one, not in road games. That's a split that, that does draw pause because are they going to go, are they going to go 0-10 on the, or 0-11 on the road? I mean, they have to win some of these in order to look good on NCAA tournament resumes, in order to uh, get, a, get a seed worthy of maybe what they look like at home or a neutral site. And then also just to keep morale up. At some point, you're going to have to win games outside of your own arena. And I know they did in the fall, but the teams might get tougher. The, the other teams are more aware of Juwan Howard's uh, sch- schematics, their system, offensively and defensively. So at some point, you have to you have to do better than what you've been doing. So Steve, I ask you, one through ten, I think I'd give it a five, right around the middle. Uh, post defense, transition defense, shooting away from Chrysler are are maybe the concerns that go beyond injuries and some some more understandable stuff. Those are the three things that I kind of see as as big issues. Uh, what's, what's your, what would your panic level be at if you were advising Michigan fans? Yeah. So when we first talked about this before we came on air, 
you know, decided one through ten deal. I, five was actually the first number that popped into my head too. Really because, yeah, I mean, Livers may be second best player, but, well, no, I mean, Simpson's their best and their most important player probably. I shouldn't say that Livers is more important, but he is that guy that opens, let's say he opens more things up, especially offensively, I guess, than Simpson does. Simpson creates, but he doesn't open things up. He still hasn't, you know, I don't think his perimeter shot has improved enough for him to necessarily open stuff up a lot because I think what happens sometimes is, is Michigan gets into, they, there's some slogs, you know, some some lapses offensively, and then there, there are times where I think Simpson feels like he has to force things a little bit, not even so much with just shooting the ball, but also just, you know, trying to make the tough pass, that type of deal. So, I mean, they're obviously missing livers. It's hard not to think they maybe wouldn't have won both of those games this week if he had been healthy, right? I mean, how many, are there any, are there any other teams in the Big Ten that are missing their would we say is the second best player? I don't, I don't think there is, right? Well, it depends on how you feel about Michigan State and Josh Langford. No, I mean, uh, Tillman's got to be that second best player, right? I mean, at least. Well, he is now. I mean, we haven't seen we haven't seen Langford play like two since years. Tillman emerged. Right. I mean, it's yeah. Been, so I, it's, he's been too far gone, I think, to say he'd be their second best player. I mean, maybe, though. Either way. Like. Uh, oh, Indiana, Indiana, Nebraska, it, but sure. still, it's a big right. injury. It's Either that's my injury. point. We don't yeah. have to, yeah, we don't have to break it all the way down. But you know, so you know, missing a guy as important as Livers is has obviously had a big impact. And like you said, I know you wrote the article. I think it was this morning about how important this next stretch is, and it is because there are some very these are some more winnable games because to this point, I believe. I mean, you'd think you could easily make the argument. They've played the toughest schedule in conference so far out of anybody, it right? Is, it is statistically the toughest schedule sure. based on Ken Palm and Bart Torvik, two good analytics sites, one free, one not free. Uh, and it's not close. I mean, it's it's by a sizable margin. They're, they've played four Big Ten road games. We just talked about you're only winning one out of seven. The entire conference is, and that includes some gimmies at Nebraska and Northwestern. Uh, toughest Big Ten schedule, and then strength of schedule, they are second toughest in the country. Only Kansas, who's having a very impressive season, only Kansas has played a tougher schedule. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at who they've played too, getting a little bit more specific into it, the um, they've been bad matchups for Michigan. What's what's something that Michigan really struggles at? It's it's one-on-one post defense, and, and maybe that's something for Juwan Howard to change a little bit. I do think he had a little bit of too much of an NBA mindset because in the NBA, anybody can go off for 20 points in a game. They can make every open shot. They can do, I mean, they can burn you if you give them half a second to do so. And so maybe in college, that's not quite as true. <laughs> you know, with, with Minnesota, maybe you let someone like a Gabe Kalsher who's struggling this season, maybe you let him try to beat you instead of one-on-one with Oturu. Maybe you let, um, you know, if you're against Iowa. Now, granted, Iowa did step up to the challenge. Someone like Ryan Kreiner scored 20 points. Jeez. Or, I'm sorry, excuse Kreiner. me. Kreiner, Kreiner had 14, but C.J. Frederick had 21, a freshman. Uh, not especially highly rated freshman either. I, he's a great shooter. I know Beeline really liked his, his shooting, but um, still, he scored 21 points. So maybe maybe they are shifting a little bit, and Garza's just that good, but that's something that, that I think you have to look at. 
Uh, Iowa scored. Iowa's not a particular... I I would not describe them as a fast-paced team. 16 fast-break points. Um, You know, got pretty... Got a few good looks in transition. Even if if they weren't officially fast-break points, Michigan seemed to be unsettled at times. Um, Wow, looking at this box score, how about... Connor McCaffrey, 13 rebounds, no points, five assists. Yeah, they mentioned that, and actually they mentioned that in the telecast <laughs> about how he hadn't scored, but he was actually having a pretty big – he made a couple smart plays. I mean, Iowa, I, you know, you could talk about the whole uh, – has a an, an innate ability to draw some very questionable fouls, but Garza's legit, man. I mean, that guy's gotten better. I mean, he was good last year. I mean, he showcased it all um, mm-hmm. in both games. I thought even more so. I know he didn't have, what, he had 44 in the first game yeah, when they yeah. played. He scored 11 fewer points. Yeah. But yeah. I thought even in this game, I thought he just showcased a more all-around offensive game. I mean, that he's automatic uh, at the free throw line, too, which is really important. And obviously it was very important in that game the way that the – you know, as often as Iowa got to the line. Yeah, how many how many Big Ten teams do you think wish their center would go eleven for thirteen in a game from the free throw it's, line? I mean, it's it can make it can easily win you. Well, you could argue it won them the game, couldn't you? I mean, mm-hmm. just the, you know, with him not missing like really anything. So, yeah. So f- I mean, five for me. You know, and yeah, I agree. I I, I still think I I actually I feel for Teske because. I think he's getting left out to dry way too often. And, like, there's mm-hmm. the argument about that he, they need to send help down there, and I, they do. It Does it have to be every play? No, but occasionally I think you've got to send somebody down there, especially, yeah, against teams like, well, what was Iowa in the first matchup from three-point? Were they, like, three for, like, 20 or something? Three for 15, yeah. yep. So just logic-wise – you have an all-American candidate in Garza who has a, a complete offensive game. You know, make yeah, make one of those other guys beat you. And if they do, which again, yeah, I think you said, I think they did. They did a better job of the other guys stepping up. Creener, who seems to just come alive whenever he plays against Michigan for some reason. I think they did the, la- the same thing last year in Iowa City. You know, make those guys beat you. You know, I think Minnesota, yeah, the more glaring situation, though, with Oturu, who, again, has improved drastically uh, compared to what he was last year. I mean, he's he's super legit, but... He might be the most NBA... He looks... He's good. He, ready I agree. Out of, out of that When bunch. you consider the athletic, yeah, the athletic ability that he has, and, again, night and day from what he was last year. You could see it with him last year, but this year it's, it's, it's there. Uh, Coburn... For Illinois, I mean, that's the other thing, too. Teske's already kind of run the gauntlet of, like, the top. I know they haven't played Ohio State yet. I know Wesson's really, yeah, Wesson, Wesson's really, really good. Wesson and Jalen. Is Jalen Smith playing at the five? Good question. I don't I, I, mean, wouldn't, I wouldn't he's, know for sure. He's, an, he's kind of like Oturu, though. He's got that yeah. NBA capability. So there are a couple others that, yeah, he, he is playing mostly at the five. They got uh, Deontay, or Dante Scott, sure. excuse me, and Aaron Wiggins at the four. So... Yes, they've played three of, you could argue, top 15 big men in the country. Boy, if they aren't, I don't know. If they aren't three (laughs) of the top 15, I'd like to see, like, who else is out there. Because, man, um, even Coburn, man, I mean, just, he already, he he looks like it. He reminds, you know, he reminds me of Bruno Fernando. 
he looks like an NBA player already physically, you mm-hmm. know, and I know that game was a while ago, but you know, that's uh well, they play him this yeah, week. Yeah, it's not easy for anybody to guard those guys one-on-one for 32 or 33 minutes without A, either getting into foul trouble, or B, giving up a lot of decent, you know, or easy-ish baskets defensively. You know, it's like mm-hmm. I feel, so I've kind of, I feel for Teske, but it is one of the reasons why panic is at not, it's not at a three or four, it's at a five or even maybe a six because, until they show a different look defensively, I mean, yeah, because it's, it. I mean, again, yeah, we, he's played a few of the best ones, but there are still other guys in the league that are very capable. You know, Wesson's a guy that can stretch him out, make him work on the perimeter a little bit too, maybe tire him out a little bit easier than some of these other guys too. So, you know, it's not it's not as if the, uh, you know, that he's reached the peak you know, the guys that he's going to take on the rest of the season. So, and then the perimeter shooting too. Cause like my big thing too, I don't know if you agree. I feel like a lot of times this season, I think the offense has actually been working. Okay. They're just not hitting shots. Mm-hmm. And to me, I, t- I tweeted, I got a lot of flack for it, but uh, Twitter's not real life. So I don't really care, but you know, I think an offense can be efficient and if you're, but if you're shooting, if you're not shooting the ball well, it doesn't mean that the offense isn't working. I mean, I gr- no, I, I mean it's like it's like saying if a if a it's like it's like in football if a if a wide receiver is open, clearly something was right in the scheme. Yes. you do you do have to make the throw. And you have to make the catch, right? Catch, but but still, I I see where you, I see what you're saying. I'm not saying it's been they perfect because like I yeah. think teams. Do you think teams are like? are packing in a little bit to just maybe force Michigan to shoot, right? I mean, I guess that would be a, a logical way to attack them, especially well, without livers. But Offensively, they've actually done quite well. Uh, they're second in the Big Ten in, in league play in offensive efficiency. I think they're doing pretty well in adjusted offensive efficiency as well. Um, so, you know, I, I know it might look bad when they throw up a whole bunch of bricks, but it actually does even out. And I think you saw that a little bit on on Friday is, you know, some guys had really quiet nights. Xavier Simpson, seven points. Brandon Johns, two points. Um, you know, Nunez, Castleton, Davis combined for seven. Teske had 14, which is probably about his average. But then you had Eli Brooks hit five threes. You know, Franz Wagner scored 18 points, including a boatload in the second half. Uh, nope. Yeah, 13 of his 18 points in the second half. So, I think offensively, I actually don't have too many concerns, especially with livers out. Um, you know, you can probably point to three-point shooting percentage, especially away from home, and say that's that's not good enough. You could maybe, but I mean, they had they were moving the ball around. They had a twenty-four to eight assists to turnover ratio on Friday. You take that just about any time you play on the road. Eighty-three points as well. Um, you know, one point one point one two points per possession. There's actually quite a bit to like. I think. I, I think Livers' impact will be felt more on offense because some of those lineups they just couldn't score sure. with. And and I think one thing I will say regarding Teske, I know he's got a lot of haters. Um, I think if I were to advise fans, I don't I don't like to advise fans where to direct their hate. Well, probably probably shouldn't say hate. If you are frustrated, understand that 
a lot of these Big Ten teams that have centers are getting a little bit more from their backups. Yep. And Absolutely. and I think I think that's something. And this isn't meant to be a personal dig, but I think a fourth year Austin Davis and a second year Colin Castleton. I think it's fair to say the expectations were a little bit higher and maybe they were too high, but you know, if you look at Michigan's teams in recent memory, a lot of them have had very good backup big men in the 2013 run. It was Jordan Morgan and Mitch McGarry. They were, they both were assets to that team. Same with, uh, you know, in 2014 or excuse me, not 2014, but you also had, um, you know, Horford in there when they made the 2018 run. I mean, Teske came in off the bench and, basically beat Purdue by himself for a few minutes. It's backup big men are, are pretty important in big 10 play. Cause you're not going to, you should not be a center should not be playing 30 plus minutes. It should be maybe like a 28 uh, to 12 kind of split. And so I don't know exactly what Teske's averaging off the top of my head, but he played 34 on Friday and he kind of had to play no foul defense for a little bit because Austin Davis had four fouls. Brandon Johns fouled out. Um, Franz had four fouls. I mean, it's like basically everybody. Now Teske ended up with four fouls, but there was a time I think with I think our uh, our Iowa beat writer David Eichholt tweeted every big man except Teske has four fouls and there's still 13 minutes to go. And I was like, well, don't think Michigan's going to win this one because right. right. <laughs> because Teske's basically just being asked to lift weights consistently for the next 45 minutes of, of real time. And so, yeah, that's, that's definitely a big issue. Uh, any other key issues you see with this team that are not schedule and injury dependent? Um, I, I, you know, after Friday, maybe a little less so, but still I, it's starting to look and feel more like, you know, this 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 is a sports thing. This isn't just a, a basketball thing. You see it in baseball, especially all the time. Is Eli Brooks a hot and cold kind of guy? You know, is this something where he's either going to play like he did on Friday or he's going to, like, mightily struggle? You know, it's like, I think more consistency. And, again, I think there's been more pressure on Brooks to try to score with livers out. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think more production on a game-to-game basis – from him would really go a long ways again his value and this is the thing and i actually kind of feel bad I, you know we i think i think our first or last well it's the only one we've done on basketball so far we talked a lot about julius playing more because i think i kind of glossed over how valuable brooks is on the defensive end right i mean he's a, he's a very very good defensive player and on a team that has been struggling as a unit defensively I think almost makes him even a little more valuable, but offensively, you know, I think he's a guy that I was like that X factor, I guess. Right. Like that, that there's that always that if X plays well, this team can be difficult to beat. And again, I know I say that after he had a career game and they got beat, but you get what I'm saying. Uh, More pertains to when it gets to like February and March, when livers is healthy and playing again, is I think on a, on a game-to-game basis, I think you know they're going to want to see more from him because until Friday, he had the big game against Carolina, which Carolina stinks, so that game doesn't really look as great as it did when they you know, when they won. But by and large, against quality opponents, his his statistics were there was a wide gap 
between the quality and quality competition versus non-quality competition. So, you know, that's something I've been keeping kind of an eye on. I still think he's got it in him to be a really good player on a day-to-day basis. You know, when you wonder if maybe Friday can kind of rebuild that confidence, but there is that part of me that thinks he could be sort of a hot and cold kind of guy, you know, one like a, uh, so I'm trying to think of a good baseball comparison. Like oh, like Edwin Encarnacion. I used to have him on my fantasy team every year in head-to-head. He'd hit like nine home runs one week, and then he'd hit like three home runs the next two weeks combined. You know, that's that's mm-hmm. I look at Brooks as sort of a guy who he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn uh, the last few games, comes into Iowa City and is like lights out, hitting everything. You know, right. plays crisp. Making you know, taking the right shots and then hitting them. I mean, it was a, it was a very impressive performance. And really, if there's one th- if there's one thing you're encouraged by, I think Michigan's bench play against Iowa was really really good. You know, they had no they almost yeah had, yeah they lost Simpson for 11 minutes and they were yeah I mean they they were net positive. You know, so that's that's encouraging too. The other and then on the flip side, not concerned but encouraging is Franz Wagner starting to. I think kind of figure it out yeah. a little bit. And so, and again, he's that super high ceiling guy that really on his best day could be the best player on the team. You know, if, if, if everything's clicking mm-hmm. and you're starting to kind of start to see it, you're starting to see it click a little bit. So you are, you are, I, I still think, you know, going back and watching at least a little bit of, of that game Friday night, uh, He's got a little bit of the Duncan Robinson, early Nick Stauskas in him, where defensively, sure, little bit of not not a liability. Well, maybe I don't know. However, you define liability, he's got work to do on the defensive end. But you're right, three straight games where he has scored at least 15 points. Uh, felt like all three games he really stepped up in the second half. I don't have the handy stat to to prove that. Although he had 13 on Friday, in the second half, so. Yeah, I think, and, and you know, I will say this, Stephen, I want to get your thoughts on this. After the game, uh, we were writing a whole bunch of different stories. We were talking to Franz outside the locker room, and I think it was like the last question he was asked because cause he brings a lot of energy. He's got he's got a lot of mo in him. I was him. just going to say, you can uh, see it. It's very obvious when you're watching yeah. the game. Well, and that's an interesting development because I don't think he was always known as that. Like He was always kind of seen a little bit different than Mo. He was maybe a little bit more serious a little bit more reserved um and that was part of it it came to play in his recruitment a little bit too where it was kind of like does he want to go to college or does he really want to just stay in his comfort zone and and work on his craft things like that and so um but still I mean he's shown a lot of energy and we asked him about it and he said I think I think I need to help or he didn't say I think I need to help but he said something along the lines of this team needs more energy, and I'm just trying to bring that. And we asked him, maybe like, what do you, what do you mean? He said, I felt like in the Bahamas there was just this energy about this team, um, kind of the spirit that we play with, and and we we got to get back to that. It's easy when you lose to maybe be a little bit quieter. Uh, something along that's roughly what he said. And so interesting for a few few reasons. One, I think Franz is starting to find his footing a little bit where he feels comfortable asserting that not necessarily just to us, but, but just having that thought himself instead of doing what everybody else does and trying to fit in. He's, he's leading a little bit. 
And I think you saw a little bit of that in the second half and how impactful it can be. Because, yeah, he was making plays where Iowa didn't really know what to do. And he was making plays where uh, the crowd was just like, not dumbfounded, but they were like, whoa, okay. <laughs> and that's that him and Brooks combined, that was a big part of why it seemed like Iowa was winning this game by like 15 points and Michigan had a seven-point lead. And it was like, okay, you know, you make your shots, you make some plays on the offensive end. So him, he's taken a step. And I'm a big believer in if you want to be a good basketball team in college, you need as many ways to win as possible. And right now I think they have, well, without livers in the game, I think they have like three to four. So Simpson, we've seen him go off. We've seen Teske go off. We've seen Brooks go off. I know, you know, a lot of it was, was kind of spot up. He's not necessarily a creator. But between him and Franz, if you can get MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Roughly one of them to step up with a big game in, a, in, a, in, any, in any game. You probably like your, your chances if you're Michigan to to at least contend. You probably need Simpson, Teske, and Livers to be your best players. But if if, if Wagner and, and Brooks are able to do something like what they did against Iowa, well, that, that keeps the team. That's that's another way they can win. That's another way they can score. I uh, felt like, I, you know, I don't think it's, you know, not going to ignore David DeJulius, who I thought played really well for an unexpectedly long time with Xavier Simpson in foul trouble. Uh, I think he played 11 first half minutes, scored eight points in the in that stretch, and and he ended up he's continuing to be a better assist guy, distributing the ball better, four assists. I mean, we were talking just a, two weeks ago. He had never had more than three assists in a game, and I believe in the last three games he's exceeded that. And so, um, there's some development. I I think. I think five is the right number as far as the the panic level because I think there are as many things Michigan should be concerned about as there are things Michigan can feel, can hang its hat on, take comfort in. I agree. I think you kind of said it all. I don't really know what to add at this okay. point. Yeah, no, that was, no I, was like, <laughs> I was thinking like, oh, what am I going to add? But I think he, he kind of covered it. So. Yeah, DeJulius has a 10-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio. I'll tell you what, man. Games. He's And the other thing besides the assist-to-turnover ratio, he's – I mean, who else? he's got that ability to create, too. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's the guy that can get in the lane and kind of make the difficult basket if they need one. And again, that always he's not really a. I don't think he's that similar of a player to Abdul Rahman, but that's one asset that Rahman always had. You know, was that mm-hmm. ability okay. to sort of get in the lane and 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 get a basket when. You know, and like it's, we've seen it happen a few times this year, but I always feel like it was kind of one of the, I don't know, not a joke, but one of the long running things with, with a lot of times with Beeline's offense, would there'd be times where they'd go, it seemed like they'd go forever without hitting a basket or there'd be these long, 
you know, it was very, sometimes they were very hot and cold as a unit. And Abdul Rahman was kind of that guy that could sort of keep those lulls from happening too often. Julius reminds me of him in that regard where I feel like if he's in the game, he's explosive enough off the dribble to it at the very least. And that assist to turnover ratio would reflect that at the very least can get in the lane and create for somebody else for an open shot, if not get to the basket himself. So, you know, there's a lot of value there. I still think this, yeah, like I still think stock up for him. I, I think Brooks defensively, I think Brooks's defensive ability and what we talked about last week with the confidence issue or not issue, but just, is there any sense in, you know, I think, cause there are a lot of people that are, kind of, you know, going with the whole Julius needs to play more, and maybe he does need to play more minutes, but I don't think he should be, still don't think he should be starting alongside Simpson. You know, again, we're talking about Brooks after he had a career game, but, uh, you know, but stock up there overall still, in my opinion, because, yeah, he has a lot of, he offers a skill set that I don't know if anyone else in the Michigan roster has, at least at the guard position right now, right? So. Mm-hmm. Well, and his ability to play as fast as he could play, I think Brooks actually credited to Julius a lot last or on Friday, just with how how quickly he can get up the court and how that can, you know, even if it doesn't lead to a bucket, it makes it makes Iowa or any opponent kind of think a little bit, think a little faster, rush their decisions just a little bit. Curious to see how it goes, because yeah, he's averaging nine nine points in his last three games. Again, some of these numbers are going to be a little inflated because Livers is out, but still um, seem, seems more comfortable, a little bit more of an all-around player. Uh, yeah, he's got 8 points, 10 assists. or I'm sorry, not 8 points, 27 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists in his last three games. That's, that's pretty good for, for a guy coming off the bench. All right, let's, let's look ahead to just briefly because I've mentioned it. I think you agree. The next five games, you don't want to be hyperbolic, so it's going to come off a little hyperbolic. You could extend it to three to eight games if you'd like. But this is the, this is the money stretch for Michigan. If they're going to be a true, and you know, not just a first weekend NCAA, if they're going to be a second weekend contender, if they're going to be a contender in the Big Ten, I know they're in 11th place at two and four, so maybe, maybe Big Ten tournament. If they're going to be a force to be reckoned with in the league this year, it's going to have to show in these next five games. They play Penn State at home, Illinois at home, Nebraska on the road. That's their only road game in this stretch. Rutgers is in Madison Square Garden. You could argue it's I, – I think that's going to be a pretty even crowd. Uh, maybe the buzz around Rutgers is a little bit higher since they're ranked for the first time in 40 years. Or, I'm sorry, 41 years um, still. So they might they might be able to pack the building. I'm curious to see what that crowd looks like on on a Saturday in New York City, and then they then they host Ohio State. Those five games, they are projected to win all five of them. I don't know that they necessarily will. I mean, a couple of them they're given a 52 percent chance, or 50. It's like a one or two point pick 'em type game. But to me, I identified this stretch as the the current defining stretch for this season. Because realistically, were they going to beat Michigan State on the road? Probably not. Were they going to beat Minnesota or Iowa on the road? Given what we've seen, 
I don't know that that was necessarily the expectation. And I went to Iowa expecting them to lose. I'll put it like that. You know, same with Louisville, same with Illinois. Oregon, probably another winnable game. You don't you don't want to lose overtime games at home if you're the Wolverines. But I don't know. I feel like these five games, it's it's the cushion stretch compared to what it's been. We mentioned uh, Michigan has played the toughest Big Ten schedule to date. They have. Uh, Bart Torvik actually predicts the remaining schedules of all the Big Ten teams. Michigan is 13th. So there is going things. The load is going to lighten, even if it's still against top forty teams. I believe twelve Big Ten teams are in the top forty-eight of the net rankings. Just insane. But this is this is a pivotal stretch. Michigan's going to have to show adjustments. They're going to have to show a little bit more offensive consistency. Uh, I don't think they necessarily need to be. I don't know if it's realistic to expect this personnel to be as good defensively as they were the previous two seasons. I mean, they lost Charles Matthews. They lost, I know people didn't love Jordan Poole's defense, but he was athletic and you know, had those long arms. They Iggy Brzdakis, I felt like, stepped up his defense. There's a lot that was working for them uh, defensively. I don't. This is a different kind of roster, but you sure want to see a little bit more sustained defensive effort. This is a big stretch. Uh, these next five games, you could argue the eight games because they host Michigan State, they travel to Northwestern, and then they host Indiana, and then they start playing some of those bigger road games again. But this is a this is a pivotal stretch, projected to win each of their next eight games. I don't think they will, but if they go like a six and two, or in these next five games maybe a four and one, then I think. I think some of these woes that are surrounding the team right now are, are put aside because they're still clearly a force. They're still clearly a one of the better Big Ten teams because right now they're probably middle of the pack. So these next five games will define if they stay there, if they move up, or who knows, stranger things have happened, move down. Steve, what do you make of these next five or eight games? Uh, no, I agree. I thought your article was spot on because – these this last stretch, you know, the, you could make it for the games that they did lose. You could make legitimate arguments as to why it was, uh, I, I guess, say understandable. I guess. I mean, maybe Minnesota, the only one, because really outside. I mean, at least Iowa has other weapons, uh, but with Minnesota, it was Oturu. Like, really, feel like the. I know Carr had a good second half, but you know that one was maybe the most frustrating of all because I think Iowa just they do they have one of the best players in the country on their team I mean just put it that way so uh this stretch though yeah you even go further again I mean we're not we wouldn't call them to beat Michigan State but they do get them at home after they play Ohio State and then it's Northwestern on the road then Indiana at home uh so what seven of the next eight games you could argue are are pretty winnable especially if you get livers back Anytime within that time frame, which again, it looks like it appears that he's pretty close, right? I mean, it appears he's getting there. So, big time stretch. I mean, this, yeah, if you're, if you're Michigan, you're in a position now where you have to win the games you're supposed to win. It's that's it's it's not that complicated, right? So, and they've been very good at home. So you get, yeah, you get Penn State, Illinois, Rutgers. Well, it's a no, sorry, that's a neutral site, but. 
Uh, like you said, 50-50, maybe. maybe well, yeah, like you said, I know Rutgers playing some good ball. We'll see what they where the turnout is. But there'll still be, a, either way, there'll be a large Michigan contingent in the crowd. At least you would expect there would be. Uh, Ohio State, Michigan State, Indiana at home. And then your only two road games are against arguably the two worst teams in the conference. Or actually, I don't even think it's arguable. I think they're the two worst teams in the conference. So, you know, yeah, big time opportunity for them to kind of right the ship a little bit, you know, and, and get things back on track. So, no, I mean, you're trying to improve seating, move up in the conference standings a little bit. You know, there's a little bit of breathing room for them now to kind of do that. So, mm-hmm. simple, okay, easier, easier okay. schedule. It's like just yeah. a fact. I mean, so. Well, and that's that's the truth. It's not like making excuse. If you play tougher teams, you're more likely to right. lose. That's a. I, I understand in football, maybe when you don't, you're not supposed to lose more than one or two a game. That's that's a different thing. Basketball, you, there are going to be ups and downs. Teams lose, and and there are surprises too. But, you know, we'll we'll see. We'll see what Michigan has. Let's talk briefly, just a few minutes here, about Michigan's future. Because um, the recruiting, they now have five members of their 2020 recruiting class. It's ranked number four in the country. Um, you know, Obviously, Zeb Jackson is, has been committed for a long time. He comes from the Xavier Simpson tree. Um, I believe he played for Simpson's dad. Uh, Hunter Dickinson is... Big big time center coming out of the D.C. area. Terrence Williams is out of the D.C. area. Um, Isaiah Todd is the five star power forward, t- top ranked recruit Michigan has had in the last 17, 18 years, the twenty four seven Sports era, or the composite era, I should say. And then Jace Howard, Jawan's um, Jawan's son, committed tonight, and so that gives them five, ranked number four in the country. A lot of people are asking, like, you know, what's what's working? Well, there's a few things working. One, Michigan has a lot of momentum. People, people are like, well, Jim Harbaugh never had a number four class. Well, they didn't go to a national title game two years before he arrived. They didn't. They hadn't been to um, the equivalent, you know, Sweet Sixteens versus New Year's Six, three straight New Year's Six bowls before he arrived. They hadn't been to new, two title games in the last seven years. So, so Michigan's doing a lot of on-court stuff. I believe they're number six in the NBA or in the NBA in terms of colleges represented. They're not anywhere close to Duke and 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 Kentucky and um, you know the UCLA, UCLA and C, but they are number six. They've got eleven players in the NBA right now, including three straight years, four straight years, I believe, actually, with first round NBA draft picks. Um, again, Duke and Kentucky have done that, but really nobody else has. So. That that's working for Jawan Howard, but but Steve, uh, in in what you've seen, what you've been able to read about, what else is working for Jawan Howard on the recruiting trail? What what allows him to, you know, because this wasn't even necessarily supposed to be this good of a class. A lot of a lot of his recruitment was kind of playing catch up. So what what has he been able to do? What what's working for him? What are some of the calling cards that Michigan has right now in the basketball recruiting world? Well, I think. I think he's been able to sell the NBA experience as a player and as an assistant coach. Uh, you know, when he got hired, you had the LeBron, Dwayne Wade shouting him out. Got to assume that's been discussed. 
with some families and parents. And, and here's the other thing too. This is what I've noticed, and it actually, ironically, today, Hunter, you mentioned Hunter Dickinson, who played an amazing game uh, against the nation's number one player, and Evan Mobley. Thought Dickinson got the better of him. Uh, he only played three quarters, but had 28 points. Uh, I think six rebounds, three blocks. Really outplayed Mobley when he was actually in the game. He missed the basically the whole first quarter with what turned out to be a minor knee injury. You know, Dickinson mentioned after he committed that Howard's introductory press conference, where he got really emotional, was something that he took note of uh, after Howard started to recruit him as far as his passion for the University of Michigan and just that, you know, it's legit. It's like he really loves coaching at the University of Michigan. It's a dream job for him, that type of deal. That stuff kind of matters. Uh, you know, I go back to when they won the battle for Atlantis, him, like, even his interview with Jimmy Dykes and, like, him dancing with the players afterwards. Like, kids gravitate towards guys like that with recruiting. A lot of recruiting is uh, being able to relate, being able to connect. And, it, you know, stuff like little things like that. I'd even say so. I'll tell you what. I'll say something, another thing. Even a little thing like on Friday they're playing Iowa. Ball goes out of bounds. Uh, goes right between Joe Wieskamp's legs, and you see Howard kind of have like a moment with Wieskamp, kind of ra- uh, razzing him a little bit about it, and like Wieskamp laughed, like they're both sitting there kind of chuckling and laughing. The announcers like made a point to mention, like, "Oh, that's a great moment. You know, it's really really cool. You know, Juwan Howard just you know, loves loves coaching. People notice that kind of stuff." Or like him pulling a Turu aside after the game against Minnesota. I don't know if you saw that video. You know, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, like yeah. those little things. Not saying like some kid is seeing that video and saying, "Oh, I want to play for that guy." It's not like the actual that, but it's like you can tell he is he loves where he's at. He like is loving this and is really enjoying it. And I think that kind of emotion and passion for the game can really really rub off on kids you know on the recruiting trail and their families uh, you know and so you combine that with the NBA experience like I said as a player and as a coach and again and I know they've struggled a little bit you know the last three or four weeks but you know he's had them in a, at one point they were almost <laughs> looking at being the number one team in the country at one point uh, so I think there's a you know I think that that success there too has obviously not hurt them. So, you know, I mean, yeah, we were talking about, I did the article this tonight after Howard committed. You know, if they can reel in Josh Christopher, kind of the final piece of the puzzle, if they get him, then five of the top 20 all-time in the rankings era, because I, you know, I had to, like, bold it because I knew somebody would maybe say something about Chris Webber or something, <laughs> you know. Right. But in the rankings era, which is 2000 on, uh, this class would have five of the top 20 ranked kids that Michigan's had in that in that era. Insane, hmm. you know. Yeah. And so uh, he's obviously been able to connect, right? And right. then that's really that's really what it comes down to. Because here's it, you know, we know the deal. Michigan is this is this is going to be different than it was under Beeline. If Josh Christopher and Isaiah Todd sign with Michigan, they ain't going to be here after this after next year. 
They're coming for one year. They're gone. Doesn't matter how the team does, how they perform. You know, barring something crazy, right? And barring, you know, if, if I don't know, if they don't turn out as advertised yeah. or something. But, you know, the, 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 yeah. the aim for those types of guys is to be there for one year and then jet. And so it's going right. to be a different situation. And I think, you know, again, I think that goes back to, I think his NBA experience will play a big role in feeling, making kids like that feel comfortable in going to Michigan for that one year, because he can look at them and say, I get it. I understand, you know, and this is what, the, this is mm-hmm. what they do in the NBA. This is what I'm going to do to get you ready for the NBA. And we're also going to win some games while you're here, you know? So yeah. Yeah. Great job. He's, an- he's answered all the questions that people had, right? I mean, I, I look back, I almost kind of laugh that people were wondering if he'd recruit it, if he'd recruit well at all, just because of that, that pedigree, you know, remove the fact that he actually played at Michigan was part of one of the most famous recruiting classes ever. But that, that, that time with Miami and getting shout outs from guys like LeBron and Dwayne Wade, I mean, from uh, former Ohio state legend, LeBron James, uh, you know, <laughs> is that's a really big, those are some big feathers that you can put in your cap when you're trying to convince kids to come play for you. So, and I think he's, mm-hmm. I, I assume, I mean, I don't know if we've heard a kid actually say that, but if people, kids are going to notice stuff like that, you know, that you got a guy like yeah. LeBron shouting him out. He's shouted him out a few times actually. So yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, down in Iowa city, um, I've covered Michigan sports for six years or so. Don't usually see coaches looking like they just had a tearful moment after games. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say he was crying because I didn't see him officially cry, but, but he had the glassy-eyed look. Usually that's a postseason end-of-the-line end of kind of look for coaches. And B- or not Beeline, excuse me, Juwan Howard is that emotional after a Friday night January road loss. And so I, I do think he's a very hard on hard on his sleeves kind of guy. We've talked about it with football. The best way to sell your your program to recruits is win a lot of games, contend for championships, and then get players to go to the next level. NFL, NBA, whatever. Beeline already had those two. I do think this would have been a pretty good class for for John Beeline. I'm sure um Jabri Abdul Rahim, I'm sure uh Walker Kessler, I'm sure some of these guys would have continued to look at Michigan, uh, you know, and Juwan Howard has had some recruiting losses in this class. And part of that was just him being late. Uh, part of it was the fit wasn't right, whatever. But yeah, I think, I think you throw in the emotional connectability to players. I mean, think about if you were in you know, college basketball recruiting is interesting because you're not, it's not necessarily a three-year commitment or a four-year commitment. It's, it can be a one or two-year deal. And so, who do you who do you want to grow? What what to, what kind of coach do you want to grow with? Probably one who has been through it, who seems to see you as more of the person you are than necessarily the the numbers you are. I mean, some of these coaches, I, I don't know. It just feels like feels like Juwan's able to connect a little bit more personally with some of these players. I agree. Uh, will it pay off? Will it pay off? You know, cause they, they do have to sign. They actually have to get Todd on campus. They. You know, you talk about Josh Christopher, that's a nice hypothetical, but that's also still a recruiting battle that's ongoing. Um, 
You know, he still has to do it in 2021. He still has this season to coach. And that, that goes a long way toward the impression of him and, and what he can do with this program. So plenty of stuff to watch. Uh, I think we're going to probably do a basketball podcast each week from here here until the end of the season. seems like the interest in those episodes are, are pretty high. So, uh, But for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. Check out all of our Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting coverage over at the MichiganInsider.com and Michigan.247sports.com. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 Podcast. Hope you have fun. Hope you learned something. See you next time.